So we're going to be continuing in John chapter 10. And last week, we kind of just set the scene. We kind of just talked about um, where Jesus kind of is walking in. We really wanted to just kind of set it almost like a movie so you could kind of picture it and see what was going on. And so um, we talked about how Jesus is walking in on this celebration of what is was actually Hanukkah. And so he's walking on this celebration of, of Hanukkah, which was the Jewish people celebrating the recapturing of their temple, of their, of their, you know, their, their sacred place where they would come to worship every week. So if you remember kind of what had happened was, what, it, what had happened was they, they get taken over by the Greeks and um, after that happens, the Greeks try to basically crush who they are, what, they're, what they stood for, what they, um, their religion, everything, everything that they were, even so to the point of making them sacrifice to the Greek gods. And so if you kind of remember how all this played out, um, the picture was uh, they, they, this Roman, uh, or excuse me, this Greek group of soldiers come in, they try to make the, the Jews sacrifice to this false idol. They try to make him make a sacrifice to Zeus. And the guy gives the Jewish guy the knife and he turns around and kills the guy. And then they just slaughter everybody and war breaks out, right? It's like a movie, right? And then this guy, Judas Maccabee, the hammer, goes out and leads the Jews against uh, the Rome or against the Greeks, and they have this war, and, and at the climax of the war was uh, the Jews going in and, as I said last week, defeating the Alamo, um, going in and basically recapturing their temple. So if you picture it like a movie, the final scene was them coming up, recapturing their temple from the Ro- or from the Greeks. They go in. And they light what was called the eternal flame, what we would call the eternal flame, which was only supposed to burn. They only had enough oil to burn for one day, right? But instead it burned for eight days, which is enough time for them to make more oil so that they continue burning. And you say, well, why is that a big deal? Because that flame, what it represented was the presence of God. And what that was, the miracle was God saying to them, my blessing is back on you. I'm back with you. My presence is with you again. And so that's what they're celebrating. This is, um, that had happened, you know, hundreds of years earlier, but that's in this moment what they're celebrating when Jesus walks into the scene. So when you hear Hanukkah and you see people celebrating Hanukkah, that's what they're celebrating, is, is God's presence burning that, that flame for longer than it ever should have um, to show them that he was with them, that his presence was with his, with his people again. And so Jesus comes in when they're supposed to be celebrating this rededication to the temple, but instead what has happened is the Jewish people are frustrated with their leadership once again. They're frustrated with what they would call their shepherds, the people who are supposed to be leading them, loving them, taking care of them, providing for them. And they're so frustrated, in fact, that they're reading publicly, like in their temple, they're reading things like this publicly. Um, Woe to the shepherds of Israel who have been feeding themselves. Shouldn't the shepherds feed the flock? You eat the fat, wear the wool, and butcher the fattened animals, but you do not tend the flocks. They're saying, you're doing all these things, shepherds. You're doing all these other things, except for the one thing you're supposed to be doing, which is taking care of the flock. He says, you have not strengthened the weak, healed the sick, bandaged the injured, brought back the strays, or sought the lost. Instead, you have ruled them with violence and cruelty. So if you can imagine, this is what's being read in the temple, the frustration, the anger towards their leadership, right? They're just frustrated. 
And so in this moment, this is the scene that Jesus walks in on John 10, where he says this passage, where he says these beautiful things, starting in verse 1, says, I assure to you, so remember, this is the climate. He walks in, I assure to you, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the door, but climbs in some other way as a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. The doorkeeper opens it for him, and the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own outside, he goes ahead of them. The sheep follow him because they recognize his voice. They will never follow a stranger. Instead, they will run away from him because they do not recognize the voice of strangers. So this is what Jesus says. It says, Jesus gave them this illustration, but they did not understand what he was telling them. And if you, if you read the New Testament, you see this happening all the time. Jesus comes in and he gives a parable or he tells a story or he says something and people are just like, dude, what did he say? Like, what did he mean by that, right? People are just constantly, for some reason, confused about what the things Jesus says. And so he has to explain to them, here's what I mean, here's what I mean. He's a, he's a great teacher because he uses stories to teach, but then people just, for some reason, just goes over their head. So he breaks it down for them. Verse 7, he says, So Jesus said again, I assure you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. A thief comes only to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I have come so that they may have life and have it in abundance. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired man, since he, is not the sh- since he is not the shepherd and doesn't own the sheep, leaves them and runs away when he sees the wolf coming. The wolf then snatches and scatters them. This happens because he is a hired man and does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep and they know me. As the father knows me and I know the father, I lay down my life for the sheep. But I have come, but I have other sheep that are not of this fold, and I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. Then there will be one flock, one shepherd, and this is why the Father loves me, because I am laying down my life to take it up again. This is him pointing to the cross. This is him foreshadowing of I'm going to die on the cross for these, for the sheep. I'm going to die for them. He says, I love this. He says, no one takes it from me. No one takes my life from me is what he's saying. But I lay it down for the sheep because I love the sheep. He says, no one takes it for me, but I lay it down on my own. I have the right to lay it down. I have the right to take it up again. I have received this command from my father. So he breaks down this parable for him, explains it to him. And then in verse 19, again, a division took place among the Jews because of these words. Many of them were saying, he has a demon and he's crazy. Why do you listen to him? And others were saying, these aren't the words of someone demon possessed. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? So it's just as a side note, as you see, everywhere Jesus goes, man, there's a division. Not a division like breaking apart like families, like he's not causing it, but what's happening is people are responding to Jesus. And you see it, it's true today. The way people respond to Jesus, it's either he becomes attractive to them and they want more of him, they want to know him, they want to be Christian, or they respond to him in a way of rejection. He's um, like a stench to them, right? That's interesting, don't you think? So everywhere Jesus goes, people, it's like he says the same thing and people respond to it in two totally different ways. You have these people like, he's demon-possessed, and you got these people going, he's healing the blind, man. How could someone who's healing the blind be demon-possessed? Anyways, that's a side note. So last week, we kind of talked through and set the scene, set the stage. This is where Jesus is walking into so we can kind of understand what's happening behind the scenes. And then we finished asking the question, 
who is your shepherd, right? Who is, um, if you were to look at your life, who is it that you go to for comfort when times get hard? And we all, whether we realize it or not, we have a default. So like things get hard or people get sick or um, jobs are lost, just you name it, right? Something happens negative and we have a default, what we fall back on for safety, comfort that we trust in. And so we asked the question, we kind of left just an open-ended question of search your own heart, search yourself. Who is it that you fall back on? Where is it that you trust? Where is it that you rely on? Not just when things get hard, I mean, when things get hard, but just in your daily life. What is it that you strive after to provide safety, comfort, green pastures, hope, life for you? And so we just kind of finished with that. Who is your shepherd? Who do you trust to be your shepherd? So this week, what I wanted, want to do, what I really want to kind of get into, is I want to talk about um, the next thing that Jesus talks about. So he starts with, hey, we have these shepherds. The Israelites were seeing their shepherds lead them in all these crazy, terrible ways. We want to look at this and see how he's contrasting between the good shepherd and the bad shepherd. And so what I want to kind of talk about today is us looking at, here's who Jesus defines as the bad shepherd. Here's what Jesus says the bad shepherd looks like, sounds like, feels like, does. How can we see that? How can we as a people identify that? Right? How can we identify that if the bad shepherds come into our midst? And then as we talk about that, even maybe say, is that in me? Like, are there some of these bad shepherds that maybe I'm following and putting my trust in, right? So I want to kind of look at that today. I want to look at these kind of false shepherds and some ways to identify them. And remember, the Bible, when the Bible refers to shepherds, people who are shepherds, it's talking about leaders in the community, um, leaders basically have a following leaders in the community. It's talking about pastors, which is why this has been a really, honestly, a tough one for me to study because I'm like, everything in this, I'm like, man, Jesus is calling me to a really high calling, right? Um, so it's talking about uh, leaders in the community. It's talking about pastors. And then ultimately what Jesus is saying is that he is our final shepherd. He is the ultimate shepherd that all those other fall behind and have to get in line behind, basically. So Jesus gives us some ways that we can recognize and identify false shepherds. And so we're just going to kind of walk through this. And there's three main ones I want to look at. The first one is this um, at the very beginning. He says, I assure you, anyone who doesn't enter the sheep pen by the door but climbs in some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. The doorkeeper opens it for him, and the sheep hear his voice. He calls to his own sheep by name and leads them out. So it begins, anyone who doesn't enter the sheep pen by the door but climbs in some other way is a thief and a robber. So what he's talking about is he's saying the first way that we can identify false shepherds is there's someone who sneaks in the sheep pen. Okay, that's weird. So they're sneaking in church, like trying to open the side door, get in. Is that false shepherd? Right? Not exactly. What? So the idea behind here is whenever... Uh, um, shepherds would, so, well, I'll have to back up again. You got anybody here know anything about sheep? You guys know anything? The first thing is, the first thing you know about sheep is that they're really stupid. So it's kind of an insult that the Bible constantly refers to us as sheep, right? But, uh, but it's the truth. The guy's like, yeah, guess what? Sheep are really dumb. God's people, sheep, right? <laughs> You're like, it's kind of personally offensive, but uh, it's true, unfortunately. So sheep are so dumb. How dumb are they? Sheep are so dumb that if, say, like, you know, there was a flock of sheep right here, and say that right here is the pasture. They're all hanging out right here. Green, lots of green grass here, and then back in those seats back there, the second tier, there's other green grass, right? Sheep are so dumb that they'll sit here, and they'll eat up all of the grass here, and they'll just keep eating it, keep eating it, keep eating it until it's all gone, and 
They'll just continue eating it. It's all gone. And then when they run out of the grass, what they'll do is they'll eat each other's poop because there's no other grass there and then die. You're like, that's awesome. Despite the fact that there's green pastures like right there. So sheep are so dumb that just wherever the shepherd brings them is like, here, eat this. They'll just sit there and eat that, eat that, eat that, eat that, run out of grass, eat their poop, die, instead of like walking 10 feet and eating some more grass. Sheep are really stupid, right? So what shepherds had to do was consistently or constantly move them around. So that's why the shepherds would take them. They'd go to one place, they'd eat the grass, and the shepherd would move them from pasture to pasture to pasture so that they could constantly have new food to eat because they were too stupid to know, hey, man, walk 10 feet and get some more grass, right? So what they would do is at night, if they were you know, in different places, they would find a cliff or a bunch of rocks, and they would back the sheep up against the cliff or against the rocks, and the shepherd would stand kind of in the opening and be the gatekeeper, the shepherd would literally stand and be the way for, the, for anyone to come in, right, to, to the sheepfold. And so there's that. Or even if they just put him in the pen, he would stand at the gate and protect. He would be the gate. So that's why Jesus refers to himself, not only am I the shepherd, but I'm the gatekeeper. And so what he's telling us is that the enemy, wolves, thieves, right, these people don't come in through the gate what they do is they try to sneak around and get in another way. They try to come up the cliff. They try to sneak in over the gate. They try to get around, get, get around it some other way. So Jesus is describing himself. He's saying, I'm, I'm the gatekeeper. He's saying shepherds that try to sneak in, those are the ones that you have to watch out for. So what does that look like? What does that look like? How can we identify someone that's trying to sneak in? Well, something, some things that I kind of put down, I'm thinking specifically pastors and teachers in the church. Um, the first way I think that we can identify someone who's a good shepherd is that they're generally, um, generally in line with the church. They're generally spoken well of church by church leaders. They're generally, they have spiritual authorities over them. Um, and I know that, uh, and so, but they're basically someone who's generally in line, has good standing with church, with the church community, with church leaders, isn't railing against, like, and when I say the church, I'm talking big C church, not little C church. Does that make sense? So not like just somebody who has good standing with the river, but is in good position with like big church, right? And I know that, you know, the church, we have our warts, right? Churches aren't perfect. Like we've made some big mistakes over the years, right? Like, for example, you see like Martin Luther, the 95 thesis on the door. Here's all the things the church is messing up. Or you look at even a couple hundred years ago, slavery. There's so many churches that were for it, promoting it, trying to make it, twist the Bible to make it right. And you had to have people stand up and say, in the church, you had people standing up and leaders saying, this isn't right. This isn't scripture. This, scripture, this is wrong, right? So there's, there's times where uh, leaders in the church have to stand up and rail against the church and say, hey, church, you're heading the wrong way. We're going the wrong direction here. We need to turn. But I'm not, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about people who um, come in and are kind of trying to sneaky lead against the church, who church leaders are saying, hey, they're not following Scripture. They're not following the Bible. People who um, basically are coming in against the church's authority and trying to lead away from that. And I think that's why it's important that people know that we have a spiritual authority over us. It's important for me as the pastor to have people in authority over me to hold me spiritually accountable, to make sure that I'm teaching things that are scriptural, biblical. Does that make sense? And so you want teachers and people in authority in the church to have people over them, not someone who just exists outside trying to pull people out, out of that. So I think the first way that we can identify false teachers or um, people who are 
maybe you need a, at least a red flag. I'll put it this way. A red flag is somebody who's coming in and trying to teach Scripture, teach the Bible, and they have no authority over there, no one to keep them in check if they go crazy, right? That's one thing that we, you have to watch out for. Um, the second thing on this list, let's see, where am I? Oh, yeah, is that if you find anybody who's teaching or preaching and they diminish the importance or the, how sacred the Bible is, you need to watch out for them. Um, the Bible is our, our sacred, our holy text. We believe that it's God-inspired, it's, right, it's divine. So someone who comes in and takes this and tries to add or subtract the Bible, or someone who, there's a lot of people who will say, or teachers these days who are coming in and they'll go, yeah, well, I know the Bible says this here, but what it really means is this. It really doesn't mean what it says. They try to twist it or make it say something that it's not. You really need to watch out for that. Right. The first thing that we need to, one thing that we need to understand is that whether we like it or not, man, the Bible is our authority. As Christians, as a pastor, like what the Bible says, even if there's things in there that I don't like, right? There's things that I'm like, man, I really don't want to change this. I really don't want to like, I really don't want to come under the authority of this. But for us as Christians, this is the final word. And so if you have someone who's manipulating that or changing that, um, or you know, basically doesn't hold the Bible as the sacred text and their ultimate authority, run. Run away from that person. Run away from that. Because we, um, we trust that what the Bible has to say is God-inspired, and it's his word. And we trust in this. And so that's for us. Um, we come under its authority. I come under its authority. You come under its authority as a Christian. And so what's dangerous, in our, especially in our time, especially in our culture, is to take this and diminish it and say, well, it's a good book, or it has a lot of good things that it says, but you know, they're not really all true. Or you really can't. You, does that make sense? So we just want to run, run away from that. False shepherds are sneaky, man. They're sneaky. They come in. Jesus is, that's why he's saying you've got to watch out for them because they don't come in through the gate. They try to come in from some other ways. And someone diminishing the scripture or make, trying to make it say, say something that it doesn't say is a, is a way that they're, they sneak in and try to break apart your faith. Um, so I had an example of that. I used to work at Starbucks when I was 19. I worked for Starbucks. And uh, there was a guy there who was a, he became a good friend. He was, I was 19. He was probably in his you know, early 30s. He's probably like 33, 34, 35, something like that. And we became good friends. He knew that I was a Christian. And so we would talk and we had downtime. He'd come up to me and he would say, uh, one day he came up to me, he said something like this. Well, this is what he said. So uh, Mike, you know, man, I know, you, isn't it crazy how, uh, how, you know, the Bible teaches that Jesus was crucified on a cross, but, you know, he really wasn't crucified on a cross, right? You know, he was actually crucified on a stake. It was a stake, not a cross. And I'm like, in my head, I'm like, bro, I don't care how he died. He died for my sins. I'm good, man. Stake or cross, who cares, right? But he'd come in and he'd have the conversation. You know, Jesus really died on a stake. It wasn't really a cross. So we would talk, he would like, and he would like try to bring proof and show me, here's, here's how we know. Well, here's this. Well, the Bible says this, but it really is, is this over here. And historically, it's this. So I'm like, all right, dude, whatever. Next time, we continue these conversations. And it got to the point where he, would, he came in. He's like, hey, Mike, you know, you know, Jesus wasn't really God, right? You know that, right? I know that's what the Bible says, but really it was little G God, not big G God. Like, like God, God's the, the God, the Father, but Jesus is just like a demigod kind of thing. Jesus is kind of like, like, the, like almost like a Hercules type God. You know, you know that, right? right? And so we would talk about that. 
And of course, I wasn't buying it, right? But he, we'd talk about it. And I worked there for two years, and we had these conversations. Every time we worked together, almost, these were the conversations we'd have. What I found out later on is he was a part of a cult, and they were training him to come in, sneak in, and poke holes in your faith. So diminishing the Bible, hey, you know the Bible says this, but really what it means is this. Hey, you know the Bible says this, but really what it means is this over here. And that is ways that, that is the way that devil, the devil uses false teachers to come in. And it, and it does, like, they're not just going to walk in and be like, Jesus is a lie, everybody, right? It's, they're going to, devil, he's sneaky. False shepherds are sneaky. They come in, they poke holes. They poke tiny holes, and eventually you're doubting yourself, you're doubting your faith, you're doubting your God, right? So you, gotta, you have to be careful of that. A second thing I remember is uh, I had a friend whose um, daughter, uh, when she was in college, like accidentally joined a cult. Like, how do you accidentally join a cult, right? She, this is what happened. She began, then again, this is why it's important that people who are teaching and preaching have a spiritual authority over them and are in good standing with the church. There's this guy that would come up to their college and just was inviting people to come to this Bible study at his house. Okay, you're like, oh, cool, a Bible study house. That's awesome. Well, what happens is he's getting 20, 30 college students in there and we be, begin to say things again like this. You know, the, where the Bible says that, again, this is something that he taught. You know, the Bible says that, uh, that there's a devil, but you know that there's really not a devil. It's just the evil inside of you. That you're, we're our own devils. And the, the, what the true devil is, is there's evil inside of us. And, and God just kind of gets rid of that evil. And then when he gets rid of all the evil in you, the devil is dead in you. You're like, bro, what are you talking about, man? Right? But what he would do is, is he would manipulate the scriptures to say what he wanted it to say. He would manipulate the scriptures to, to where you would think, oh, wow, he's teaching the Bible. There really is no devil. And he would poke holes in these college students' faith who, at this, who in college, you guys know, you know you're, that's a time where you are searching and asking questions and are curious. And so he just kind of systematically broke that down. And the thing was, he wasn't a part of a church. He was doing this on his own under the guise of Christian, under the guise of Christian. So be careful for that, especially if people are trying to start Bible studies in their houses. Watch out for those crazy people. So you have to, you got to be careful and you got to watch out for that. So, and if you notice, like the one thing, the reason I want to point out to those examples, because I'm not talking about other religions. I'm talking about people who sneak into the fold of the church and try to poke holes and try to divide and try to conquer. Like, like I know in in our country, we're like, watch out for the Muslims, man. They're going to kill us all. But the, but our greatest enemy isn't other religions. Our greatest enemy is people who sneak into the church in sheep's clothing and are wolves and divide and conquer. That's the greatest enemy to ourselves. So watch out for, for that. The sheep, the, the, excuse me, the false shepherds, they, they try to sneak in. They try to sneak. I'm not saying be paranoid, right? But just be, be on guard. Like, no, that's why I, I teach up here. That's why it's important for you to read your own Bible and have your own relationship with God. So if I start up here preaching things like, hey, man, God says if you don't tithe 50% of your income, you're going to hell. You can be like, uh, Mike, excuse me, sir, liar right? You got to be able to call me out. It's okay. Wait till after service, though. We don't want disrupt to disrupt anything. <laughs> so first and foremost, watch out. For, watch out for people who are trying to sneak in, who are trying to poke holes in your faith quietly and secretly. A second way, Jesus says this. He says, a thief comes not only to, or excuse me, a thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come so that you may have life and have it in abundance. So Jesus has come to bring life, but the thief, the false shepherds have come to still kill and destroy. 
So the first examples that I gave of shepherds were physically people. People who are teachers, preachers who, who come in or, or come in and try to poke holes in your face, try to sneak in and, and teach false um, doctrine, false things like that. But those aren't the only false shepherds that we serve. Those aren't the only false shepherds that we can, excuse me, that we can come under. And so I want to talk about a few different ones. We have, if you notice the Israelites, they had had false shepherds, physical shepherds who were leading them in the wrong way, who had robbed them of their faith, had robbed them of their heritage, were trying to get them to assimilate and be like the Romans. That's what, kind of what we talked about last week. But there's other false shepherds that aren't just physical ones. And so there's a, a few that I kind of want to point to um, just because I think that we need to be wary of them. Right, So just a couple things I want to point out and just say, man, just, just kind of watch out for this. Watch out for this. The first one is something that's kind of swept our country, that it's, in, it's become ingrained in, in American culture. And really, it's a European thing that's kind of come over here that you really, you don't even realize that it's like ingrained in you, but it's, it's, it's into our country. And the first thing is it's called moral relativism. You guys familiar with the, with the term? What, what it teaches is basically this. And as I talk about it, maybe you'll, I, you'll be like, oh, man, that's what he's talking about. It's this idea that the foundation is there is no truth. The idea is that what's true for you is true for you, but what's true for me is true for me. So as long as, man, as long as we get along, no problems. And that's really kind of what this teaching, and the way that this seeps in the Bible is people go, well, you know, the Bible says this. This way it's dangerous for Christians. The Bible says this. But I don't really like that part of it, so I don't really think that that part of it's true. But I like what the Bible says over here about loving people and loving, you know, like whatever. So, so I'm going to adhere to that part. I'm going to follow that part. I like that part um, because, and because what's true for me is, that, is this, but this part over here where it says that's not really true for me, so that's okay. And that's literally what if you pay attention to, especially a driving force in our, in our culture is music. If you pay attention to music and movies, that's something that is deeply ingrained in teaching in our country is that is that there really is no truth except what's true for you so if it's true for you if it works for you that's great but it doesn't work for me it's not true for me so but that's okay too doesn't that sound kind of stupid like here's the, here's the thing that's funny about that is that ultimately it falls apart like it one it, it it messes with your faith because if you're picking and choosing in the bible trying to follow different parts but not all of it what's happening is you're really your soul's getting robbed because God is the whole, the, this whole thing is for your good, for your sanctification, for the building up of your faith. And so if you're picking and choosing and just living by what you choose to live by, you're not living in everything that God has designed for you. And secondly, you're living in sin, right? And so one, you're messing with your own faith if you adhere to that, because this whole thing is, is for your good, for, for your growth, for, because, to grow you closer to God because he loves you, because he deeply cares for you. Right? So that's the first way that it kind of messes with us. But the funny thing about it is that it all falls apart on its own, this idea that there is no truth. Let me just, I'll say it this way. Maybe you'll get what I'm saying. How can a philosophy that teaches there is no truth say that that's true? You see what I'm saying? How can I say the only truth is that there is no truth? So is that true? You see how stupid that is? But it's so funny because we don't think it through. It just sounds good. Hey, man, it's true for me, bro. Okay, well, cool. That's good. It's not thought through. And what ends up happening is it robs our souls, man. 
It robs our souls. So that's the first one that's really ingrained in our culture that I want to just kind of warn you about. And, and kind of as you see it, maybe you'll kind of like, oh, man, there's that thing that Michael's talking about. There's that, there it is. There it is. There it is. It's all over, man. It's all over our culture. And, and part of that happens because it's, it, part of it, unfortunately, is a response to something that's very beautiful about, our, about America is that it's a melting pot of so many different cultures. And so what happens when you have a melting pot of so many different cultures and beliefs and ideas, instead of like talking those things through and trying to figure out which one is actually the truth, we just go, it's easier to say, oh, what's true for you is true for you, right? Does that make sense? So it's kind of a response to, unfortunately, something that's really beautiful about our country. So a second false shepherd that I just want to talk about briefly that we trust in is money. Everybody's like, great, here we go. It's, it's not something that I want to rail against, but I just want us to be careful. Again, it's something I want to point to to be careful because what happens with money, it's not that people just love money, want to accumulate, 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 but it's that the danger of it is when we put our faith in our finances to provide comfort and safety for us. Because the thing is, is that the shepherd's job is to provide comfort and safety. The shepherd's job is to provide safety for you, to find green pastures for you, to provide food for you, um, to, to provide for you. So it's the, the thing about the finances is they're not intended to be a shepherd that we follow, that we trust in for safety. They're just meant to be a means that God can use to provide that for us. And so what happens is if we're not careful, we begin to care more about and trust more about making sure that we have a good savings account than trusting in the shepherd to provide for our needs. Does that make sense? I'm not, I'm not like railing against it or saying Christians shouldn't have finances to be wise with their finances. It's a very, 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 very biblical concept that we would be wise in our finances, that we would be wise in things that saving and paying our debts. And like all those things are very biblical, good concepts. I'm just saying, check your heart. Be careful that that doesn't become something that you trust in for your safety and comfort. You see what I'm saying? Like, I'm not, I'm not really against having, man, I hope all of you become millionaires, multimillionaires, billionaires even. That would be great. Right? I'm all for that. Like, just make sure you tithe, homie. Right? But that's right. That's right. No, no. I'm not saying don't, I'm not talking really against having finances. I'm saying just be careful. Always consistently check your heart to make sure that that doesn't become something that you put your trust in, right? Because the most beautiful thing that God does with finances is, is bless Christian people financially. And then it's really cool to see how they think of it in terms of not something that they just need to hoard so that they can be safe and comfortable, but to bless the world and bless the community to say, I mean, Joel can attest to that. People calling in and being like, man, I want to build wells in Africa to provide for people, right? Does that, you see what I'm saying? Like, and when we think of our finances in those terms, man, it's, it's, it's a whole different ball game. And so that's, that's what I want us to do. Not, um, I'm not like, you all need to be poor and not have anything, live on the street. No, be wise, save, do, do good, but just don't let it become something that you trust in to be a shepherd for you um, because that's where it gets dangerous because it's not meant to be that. That's not, that's not what it's for. And in the end of the day, it, it lets you down. At the end of the day, it fails you. The third one that I want to just mention, and this is one that you may not think of it as a shepherd, but I, I do just because it's been a theme in my own life, is the shepherd of comfort. What is that? Bro, we're sitting in theater seating right now. What are you talking about? The shepherd of comfort. Again, if we chase comfort and safety alone, we're not chasing Jesus. And, and it's easy because 
in our communities, everything becomes about being comfortable because that's good. Like we like to be comfort and feel comfortable and feel safe and be home, right? Everything about we have good, comfortable couches, we have nice, comfortable homes. All that is, all those things are good. But if comfort is something that we seek over Jesus, um, sometimes we don't do what He calls us to do, because a lot of times the things that Jesus calls us to do aren't the most comfortable things, right? Like I think in my own life um, when He called me to move to Belize and then Mississippi and then Georgia, called me to come back here and, and plant the river. Like none of that was comfortable. All of that was very terrifying, actually. Right? That was, it was very terrifying to, to come back and go like, I'm, me and Kate are moving back here and we just hope this thing works, right? Um, but we were following what we believed was God's path. But if, we had, if comfort was what we relied on to be our shepherd, if that was being comfortable was more important to us than following our shepherd Jesus... That's, that's really ugly. That's not a good thing. You see what I'm saying? So again, I'm not, I don't want you to hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with being comfortable, wanting to be comfortable, but if we rely on that to be over our shepherd, it gets really dangerous and it gets really scary. And, and I'll say this, maybe it's just true for me. True for me. I don't know if it's true for you, right? Hey, easy. Is that um, God has consistently called me out of my comfort zone like, I'm, I'm a very introverted person. I would rather just sit at home and read books and play video games than be a, you know, ever talk to anybody. Um, <laughs> but every time he's called me out of that, man, it's been some of the greatest adventures of my life. And so the Christian walk, although it's not always comfortable and safe, is one of the greatest, most beautiful adventures. And I think that'll be true for you as well. If we can just, if we can not rely and stay in the shepherd of comfort. Andy didn't like that part. I offended him. Is that true for you, Andy, or just true for me? Finally, Jesus says this. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired man, since he, since he is not the shepherd, doesn't own the sheep. He leaves them and runs away when he sees the wolf coming. The wolf then snatches and scatters them, and this happens because he is a hired man and does not care about the sheep. So a third way I just want us to identify um, false shepherds is this. When it gets hard, the false shepherd runs away. When it gets hard and when, he, when you need it the most, the false shepherd is nowhere to be found. Why? Because at the end of the day, the false shepherd is serving who? Himself. He doesn't care about you. He's not there for you. The false shepherd is there to only serve himself. And so he's, man, the wolves are coming. He's out. Good luck getting eaten, bro. Good luck with that. The false shepherd is there to only serve him himself, and he leaves the sheep to get slaughtered. Jesus stays with the sheep because they're his sheep. False shepherds aren't for your good. They're not for your good, for your health, for your growth in your relationship. They're self-serving, so they run when, when times get dangerous. I was listening to, and unfortunately, there are pastors like this, and I don't, I'm not like pointing people, I'm not naming names or anything, but there are, that is out there. Um, I was listening to somebody, a pastor, tell a story um, the other day, and he was talking about being at a conference, and he took, went to this conference, and the guy preached or whatever, and he gets up, and at the end of the preaching, he like makes, he's like, we're going to take up our offering now, and so he makes people like stand up, and he's like, we're going to take up this offering, and we, he's just hammering for like 20 minutes on, need money, need money, need money, and then he makes them, if you're going to give, raise your hand, so like, can you imagine like raise your hand and you don't, you're like, oh man, this is awkward. Everybody's looking around. So he makes everybody raise their hands to give money. 
crazy. And then whatever, takes up the offering. And at the end of it, the guy said that the pastor that was preaching leaves and is walking down the aisle. And he just happened to like step out and grab the guy. And I was like, hey, man, you, this isn't right what you just did. That, that wasn't about these people. You're just, and he's, he used the term, you're fleecing the flock, man. And the guy's response, he said he put his finger in his face and said, you don't know how much it costs to do this and walked off. That's a shepherd that's not really in it for the sheep. You know what I'm saying? That's a shepherd that's not really looking out for the sheep. And you see it, unfortunately, in shepherds and sometimes even pastors, man, who are, they're not really there for the sheep. They're, more, they're just there waiting to get the bigger gig, get the better job. Um, and that's one, I'm not pointing to, again, I'm not like trying to like point anybody out. I'm just saying you got to watch out for that. And one thing that, um, one of my greatest honors and privileges is to be the son of the man that I am because that was like a Dr. Seuss rhyme. My, so my dad is a pastor, as a lot of you guys know, and, and it's, like, it's an honor for me to just watch him and learn from him because he's been the pastor of the church that he's at now for 30 years. Despite the fact, as I remember us growing up and going, and we would have family conversations about, hey, I got this job offer from this church, this bigger church, it's more money, blah, blah, blah. And I mean, more than 10 times I remember these conversations of him getting job offers to leave and go, but he never did. And the reason why to me is a testament because he's a true shepherd of this is my flock. These are my people. I love them. I want to serve them. I want to walk through life with them. I want to be with them, right? And that's, as I'm, as I'm reading this, that's the kind of pastor I want to be. That's the kind of shepherd I, I hope to be is someone that walks through you, walks through you, walks with you through life, right? Not just for a few years, but for the next 30 years, right? That's, that's what I'm in this for, right? And I hope, I mean, I can't make any promises. I mean, if like, you know, some huge church calls tomorrow, peace. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> just kidding. But that's, that's what the shepherd does. The shepherd stays, when everybody else is leaving. The shepherd stays when times get dangerous. The shepherd stays when the wolves come to devour. And so that's just, as we talk about that, these are a few things that I want us to recognize. And Ryan, I want to ask you guys, y'all come on up. And we're, we just, as, I, as we close, what, what I really just want us to do again today is worship our God because one, he is the good shepherd. He is the one who stays. He is the one that teaches truth. He is the one that's about restoring and healing your soul and giving you life. Jesus says, he says, the, the false shepherds come to steal, kill, and destroy. And he says, I've come to give you life. How beautiful is that? How much is that contrast to these false shepherds that we're talking about? And so as we just kind of close out and worship, what I want to challenge you in is to search your own heart, search yourself and ask the question, as we've talked about these false shepherds, ask yourself the question, have I allowed some of these in my own life? Is there, um, even the ones that, you know, the, the love of money, the love of comfort, have I allowed that to be more of a shepherd and something that I trust in more than I should, right? Um, God could be calling you to something great, man. You just gotta be able to let go of some things, right? Um, Yeah, so let's stand and let's just worship God and let's just kind of look intrinsically for a moment, right? Let's pray. Father, I love you. Thank you for the fact that you are the good shepherd. And and I can't wait till next week till we get to just talk about all of the attributes of the good shepherd and who you are and what that means. Like even as this week, if we talked about watch out for the false shepherds, we get to next week talk about how great you are and how good you are and what, what the beauty of the good shepherd is, Father. So Lord, I pray that if there's any false shepherds in our lives that we're coming under, help us to get rid of them so that we can truly be invested in, truly follow, truly be in love with the good shepherd. Because you come to bring life. You come to bring joy. You come to bring abundant 
life. And how beautiful is that? Lord, help us to get any false shepherds out of the way so that we can truly live in that abundant life. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.